Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones. I am, of course, Ryan Howard, and uh, on today's show, we are going to be talking to Dave Hamrick, a.k.a. DM Dave, the operator of DMDave.com. He is a homebrew content creator for 5th edition. He makes everything from monsters to classes and subclasses to adventures, and recently he has successfully kickstarted a supplemental magazine for 5th edition called Broadsword. And we're going to be talking to him in just a little bit. But the first thing I wanted to do today is uh, kind of record this little intro slash rant because, well, for one thing, I did say that this is going to be a longer show. I want the show to go over an hour and my interviews are usually coming in at right around an hour. So this is just going to be a little little extra thing that I'm going to put at the beginning of episodes Again, the show's new. I'm experimenting with the format a little bit. And the other thing is, this is something that's been on my mind a lot lately. And I I just wanted to talk about it on the show. And uh, that is how the players treat the Dungeon Master. A lot of players don't realize just how thankless the job of a dungeon master is. And I spent a lot of time in the last episode kind of harping on dungeon masters and how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to treat our players. Now I want to talk a lot about how the players treat the dungeon master. And uh, we've had not issues, there haven't been like problems with my recent group, but just a a couple things have come up that have made me start thinking about this again. And this has been a a thing in every D&D group that I've been a part of. The DM does what the DM does because he or she loves the game. Becoming a dungeon master is like the next level of your D&D fandom. If you really love playing Dungeons and Dragons, then that's usually when you graduate to Dungeon Master. Now, some people do it differently. Like Dave, who we're talking to today, he's been a Dungeon Master since the beginning, never really liked playing. But most people come in as players and then become DMs. So being a DM is a labor of love. That's first and foremost what we have to talk about. Being a DM is like, it's like the ultimate act of love of the game besides creating another game. And because of that, DMs are inclined to put up with a lot of nonsense just to to do what, what it is they love. And today I'm going to talk to you guys about a lot of that nonsense because there is indeed a lot of nonsense that happens in at, at tables from players. And unfortunately, this is kind of the episode that I, that I have for you right now, or the, this is the intro that I have for you because, again, this is a, an increasing problem that I think, um, honestly, the internet has made worse. So, I mean, like I said, the the DM does what they do out of love, and because of that, I think players need to be more respectful of their dungeon masters. This is not to say that most of you are disrespecting your dungeon master. I, I like to believe that most of you out there are good, respectful players who appreciate all the work that your DM's putting in and want to make the game as fun for everyone as you possibly can, or you're brand new, you're still figuring out your play style, and if your DM's frustrated with you, it's just because you're still learning the ropes, and that's that's a learning experience for everyone. He's learning your play style since you're new, you're learning your play style. There's going to be some bumps in the road there. But some of you, even though you aren't intending to disrespect your dungeon master, you're doing so anyway. Those of you who've never 
planned an adventure, I just want to stress to you how much work goes into putting together your average session of D&D. Either the DM has to read through the module or build from scratch what it is you guys are doing that night. So the DM has to know the encounters coming up, what is going to be driving the story for that evening, and uh, you know all the all the details that that come with that. And a lot of times DMs will put in a lot of work into content that will hopefully keep the players invested and entertained and this has become kind of a a meme amongst D D circles where the dm puts in all this hard work and effort and builds out this really cool thing for the players to do and then the players will go off and explore some random back alley and the dm then has to completely off the cuff throw out everything they planned on doing for that that evening and throw together some kind of weird madcap adventure based on a wrong turn made by the players. Now, players, the thing about D&D is you are free to do whatever it is you want to do. That's one of the beautiful things about playing D&D. You're, you're free to go wherever you want and do whatever you want. With that said... Respect the work that the DM put in. If you find that you are constantly, consistently going off the beaten path to do whatever nonsense that you you plan on doing, and your DM, it seems like, is constantly having to pull a rabbit out of their hat trying to keep two steps ahead of you guys just to, to, to keep up with your shenanigans, that's a problem. Like, that's honestly a problem. DMs put in a ton of work. I, I, I don't know how else to say. We put in a lot of work to make sure that you guys have fun. And when you undercut our work like that, it gets really frustrating. Now, like I said in the previous episode, DMs, you have to know how to improvise because your plan almost always will not go exactly how you want it to. But players, just because you can do whatever you want in D&D doesn't mean you necessarily should. It's it's kind of rude, honestly, to look at the DM and say, look, I know you have all of these plans that you made and you have this cool world that you, you built for us and you know, you're trying to do all that. I don't care, though. I want to go over here and do whatever this is. That stings. As I talked about with Austin, I'm an emotional DM. That hurts me. That honestly hurts me when that happens because and i know people don't mean to say this but what it what it seems like to me is you're going i don't care about all that work you put in i want to go do what i want to do and so there needs to be a balance there needs to be a balance in D. And players, you have to recognize that the DM is trying. The DM is putting in all of this work for you. And occasionally, you ha- you should do what the DM planned for you to do. That's just good manners. Honestly, that's what it is. Like, the DM is a player as well. A lot of times, DMs will sacrifice their own fun for the good of everyone else. That's what a lot of DMing is. You are sacrificing what it is you want to do a lot of times just so you can hopefully recreate those magic sessions that you had in your early days that made you want to become a DM. You want to see the smiles on the faces of your players, and you want to know that they had a great 
time. And so you lay down whatever it is that might make your night magical like that, whatever it is that might bring a smile to your face so you can hopefully do that for someone else and hopefully spread that joy. And a lot of times what happens is the players just kind of shit all over that. I'm sorry to use harsh language, but this, it gets me worked up, honestly. And again, uh, my current players... I don't want you to feel like I'm coming after you. This isn't about you specifically. This is about all players because I've been seeing a lot of this online. I've been seeing a lot of memes about players ignoring what the DM has set up and, and running off down the beaten path. And it it's an all too common story. And a lot of times I think what happens is people see that stuff on the internet and then they think that's what D&D is all about. We're going to do that. So it doesn't matter that the DM put in hours of preparation to make this cool, fun thing. The internet says that we're supposed to just go around and interrogate random NPCs that the DM didn't even bother to give names to. So we're going to go do that. It just it creates a lot of problems for a lot of DMs. That's how you get DMs who, who get short with you and get angry with you that you're not... A lot of times they'll say you're not playing it right, but what they mean is you're not acknowledging all the work that I've put in. And that's really what DMs want. We want our hard work to be acknowledged, and we want that hard work to pay off in you guys having a good time. We're not trying to get you to do your math homework. We're not trying to make you clean your room. We're we're trying to set up a situation in which you have fun. Now again, DMs, if you find that your players are consistently ignoring the content that you made, you should probably talk to them and see what kind of content it is they're after because what's probably happening is your hooks aren't hooking the players. And if that's the case, then you need to kind of realign what your game is going to be. And again, that's a hard thing to do. And that's why the session zero is so important. And players, if you don't think that a game sounds fun, don't play in it. Don't force that DM to bend to your whims. Just find someone who's running a game that's the way you want it to be. And DMs, if you find that your players aren't interested in the type of game that you're interested in running and you just be miserable running a weird fantasy comedy romp like a lot of players seem to want or at least act like they want then you probably need to find another group and sometimes that can be hard a lot of times your D&D groups are made up of family members or friends or significant others and it's a hard thing it creates a lot of awkward situations so again just to finish this section off and then get into the interview everyone needs to be on the same page. Everyone needs to understand that the DM is putting in a lot of work for your benefit. And if you're ignoring that hard work, you are, whether you mean to or not, upsetting your dungeon master. And that's not something that you should try to do. You should not be actively upsetting your dungeon master. All right, so yeah, that's that's our intro. It's, it's got nothing to do with the interview. I just wanted to, uh, to get that out there. It's been sitting on me quite a bit uh, the past few weeks. And that's pretty much what these intros are going to be. It's just going to be me rambling about uh, D&D stuff that has come to mind or is bothering me or whatever it is. I, if I find new content, I might review it. Who, who knows? It's just going to be a bunch of non sequitur stuff, but it's going to be D&D related or RPG related. So yeah, with that said, uh, let us get on with the rest of the episode and uh, let's talk to DM Dave. 
I am joined by none other than DM Dave. Dave, how you hey. doing? I'm awesome, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Yes, for those of you who don't know him, uh, Dungeon Master Dave, DM Dave, runs a website, dmdave.com, where he does content for 5th edition D&D, and he has recently successfully concluded a Kickstarter campaign for a brand new supplemental magazine for 5th edition, that being Broadsword. Yeah, it's awesome, man. It was a lot of fun. I'm surprised everybody was into it as much as they were so hope it's good <laughs> absolutely i i was one of the backers for that um as soon as i saw it I, I thought it was just really cool um i never got to read dungeon or dragon magazine because i got into this in like 2015 <laughs> was when i was when i started playing D D. yeah so a lot of that stuff had already come and gone by then yeah it was um it was pretty cool stuff um i got back into the hobby back in the early 90s, and uh, Dungeon was definitely in print then. I remember one of the first Dungeons I ever had was number, let's say number 37, had a pretty cool little Ravenloft adventure, and I was, you know, being like a 12-year-old kid, I was really in the Ravenloft, and yeah, uh, I was looking through that same issue when I was like, man, I wish somebody would make this again. I was like, well, you know what, I'll, I'll do it, <laughs> and that's uh, that's pretty much the story. So diving into the uh questions that I ask everybody are introductory questions. Uh, first up, Dave, how did you get into RPGs? Yeah, and um, let's see. I think it was 1992. I was at, oh gosh, probably either B. Dalton Booksellers or Walden Books, which both out of business a long time now. Um, and uh, second edition was really big with Dungeons & Dragons, and they had this box set at, uh, I want to say it was B. Dalton, uh, for where the New, easy-to-master Dungeons & Dragons. It's a big black box, about the size of a Monopoly box. Um, has a red dragon on the cover. I bought that and just got hooked right away. It was pretty cool. My brother and I would play. And then um, from there, you know, I got into other RPGs, like from... Oh, geez, Master Set was pretty big in the 90s. I don't think they make those anymore. Um, that was from West End Games. Had uh, GURPS, I think a little Shadow Run in the early 2000s. Uh, Real big into Call of Cthulhu, third edition D and D. Yeah, I've, I've tasted a little bit of everything, but it all comes back to to D and D. I took probably about five or six years off and mostly did board games. And then when I came back into it last year, I started doing fifth edition, which, in my opinion, is probably the best and most streamlined rule set that they've put out so far. And this was the uh, this was second edition of the RC Dungeons and Dragons, not not AD and D. No, this was uh, yeah, this was the basic set that the the new easy to master came with. But I quickly started buying the box sets for AD and D. Uh, I remember having Ravenloft. I don't think I had spell. Maybe I did have Spelljammer. I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, I got an A and D and D pretty quick too. For those of you who were like me and started playing late and are in your twenties. In the 80s and 90s, D&D kind of split. It actually split off in 1977. There was Advanced Dungeons and & Dragons and Dungeons and & Dragons, which were two completely different things almost. More math. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, and that also answered my second question, which is what was your first game? So it sounds like that was... Uh, yes, yeah, D&D. Um, I've always been a DM. Um, I think I've played... A total of three sessions in 20, how long has it been? 27 years. I've played three sessions total, so. Man. <laughs> never really been a player. <laughs> Talk about your perma DM. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I never really liked being a player. It was always, um, I don't know, it just didn't like being a DM. <laughs> and uh, kind of describe your play style as a dungeon master. 
How do you like to run your games? You know, I run pretty loose. Um, I joke that I'm a shitty DM. <laughs> and, you know, with, with you know, things like Critical Role and all that and people on TV, you know, it's very professional. I, I keep it the way it's always been, you know, a lot of joking around. Um, I've got some pretty good storylines, but, you know, I keep it loose. I'm not... I know the rules pretty well, but I'm not a huge stickler for it, and I'm an advocate for rule of cool over raw any day of the week. You know, even if even if raw says you can't slam dunk a flame skull, uh, it sounds cool, so let's do it. You know, <laughs> um, as far as with my players go, my my big thing's always if people are having fun, the rest of the stuff doesn't really matter. I mean, you can burn the rule book; it doesn't matter. But if everybody's having fun, including the DM then you're having a successful game. You're a better man than I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, what's your uh what's your take on it? So I I like I like my complex stories. Um I joke that I like to run a darker game because in my head I would love a darker game but it's never worked out that way. Oh yeah. I always have goofball players. Yeah. Yeah, the dick jokes will always mess up a dark game. <laughs> yes. One of them was my fault, though, because in session two of the first campaign that I ever ran, my players were in this gladiator arena. They were basically having mm-hmm. to prove themselves to the uh, the monarch that they were serving. And I filled the arena with a whole bunch of professional wrestlers as D&D characters. <laughs> That's funny. And so they were they were interacting with uh, was it Stone Cold Sven Arrington. <laughs> The mortician. I was way into professional wrestling at the time, and yeah, hey, that's okay, man. I'm a, I'm still a rock fan all these years later. <laughs> and so, Dave, uh, what's the most fun game or session that you've ever run? Uh, you know, I really like the, my current group of guys. I, I run a game on Saturday. In fact, when we before we started talking, I was doing prep for that. I'm doing a classic Red Dragon tonight um layer yeah it's gonna be pretty good um they've been a pretty good group i mean some you know there's been an issue here or there but overall it's been pretty solid i've had of the group i have now which is uh five guys three of them have been there since session one which was back in march of last year and then two more joined on in the summer so it's been pretty steady eddie uh, we play every Saturday unless I'm out of town. Uh, but even like last week, like we had three guys down, which is, is pretty rare for us to have that many out. And we, I still run the session. We just do a, a little side quest or something. So yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's been a pretty good group. They're pretty, um, invested in the story. I'm pretty invested in them. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. That's my uh, bloody bunch group, which if you go on my discord, you'll see all of them hanging out in there and usually us talking shit back and forth to each other. <laughs> awesome. Now, what's the least fun game or session that you've ever run? Ooh, that I've run? Uh, probably one where I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I'd say back in third edition, I uh, was a little bit more of a tyrant DM, and you know, I didn't really plan well, and I didn't understand how to, to create sessions and stuff like that, and it was just very, like, not good. <laughs> Uh, I've I've played in some pretty bad ones. Oh, you know what? There was one that I did that was really terrible. That wasn't my fault. I went to this um this guy asked me at my job I was working if I would DM for his friends, and man, they were um they were a tough group. Um, they were into it, but they were just they were, uh, were they murder hobos. I don't know. No, I mean I, I shit the bloody bunch of murder hobos. You know, <laughs> I deal with that every week. Um, you know, I can live with that. Uh, it, it was just like I don't know. They were very um. God, I, that's hard to describe. Like, just a, a weird group. 
kind of like against the DM the whole time. Um, used a lot of like, so third edition had a ton of supplementary stuff because the OGL was way more popular to, to create content for. And you didn't really have DM's Guild. So this is back like 2007, 2000, no, and even earlier than that. God, like maybe 2004, 2005. So you had like companies like Mongoose Publishing, um, and a few others like cranking out, uh, White Wolf was cranking out a lot of stuff. And this stuff was never like solid. I mean, they just were able to like print it out so people would buy it and call it a day. But the uh, it was just usually bad. It was super un- imbalanced. I mean, all of third edition is pretty imbalanced, but <laughs> um, this this was like particularly bad with like some goofy classes and prestige classes, and they all wanted to play stuff out of those books. And it just wasn't it wasn't fun for me, man. And you know, they it was just a funky group. It was like, all right, guys, see you later. <laughs> I mean, these days. I get rid of toxic players pretty quick. Like if I feel like somebody's gonna um, disrupt my game, and I've been pretty fortunate with my guys. They're they're really solid. You know, they're I don't want to say they're professional about it, but you know they're mature. They they don't try to make it into a mess. Um, they're murder hobos, but you know I could forgive that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I've had random people come into my sessions before, and if I pick up like toxicity on them, like they're just disruptive or. Have something like this. I'm like, hey man, sorry, but you know, I'd, <laughs> you got to go. This isn't really working. So, um, if, if I had a piece of advice for people, and I, I get this question a lot about what to do with tough players, it's like you just got to let them go, man. As a DM, um, players are a dime a dozen, um, and you don't need people ruining the experience for everybody else, yourself included. No, that's it's what we're here for. Now, the uh, the next question, and this is a brand new question. Moving forward, I will ask every single guest this question, and if the old guests come back on, I will ask them this question again. Dave, if you could make an RPG system for any fictional universe that doesn't already have one, what would it be? Uh, let's see. I just did a zombie one that I was pretty happy with. Um... I really made it kind of hardcore Romero Walking Dead style. I'd love to expand on that. If I ever get a free moment, um, is in my personally, I feel like zombie games are really kind of lacking. There's been a few good ones over the years, but nothing crazy. Ooh, any any fiction? I don't know, man. I read too much nonfiction. <laughs> uh, gosh, let me think on that. Uh, what is something that hasn't been done? I like making most stuff fifth edition too. The rules are pretty flexible, and you can if you know them pretty well. You can turn anything into fifth edition. Uh, some science fiction would be cool. Maybe um something like I've been watching Firefly, and that's pretty cool. Oh, um, the whole game. whole western, yeah, the whole western and science fiction, and they haven't really had an RPG since I think 2004 was when the RPG for Firefly came out, and you know it's kind of faded into obscurity. Uh, something similar to that where it's exploration heavy um everybody's a crew on a ship uh you you know go around from world to world and get into monster of the week type adventures you know kind of like um 60s star trek but a little bit more intimate you know like the size of like the firefly ship where you've got you know your party right like one person is a captain one person's a doctor one person is the muscle you know etc and I think that would be really cool and fun for the DM. You know, every session you can start with, like, a, a new planet, you know, some new mishap. You have a ship. You could upgrade. I think that would be a lot of fun. That that actually is a great answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's top of mind. I, I was kind of tooling around with it on um, 
uh, a couple things. Like one, I'd love to remake Starfinder, which was uh, TSR's. What's it called Starfinder? It is Starfinder, right? Let me get the rule city. Star Frontiers, the Star Frontiers. I'd love to remake um, in the fifth edition. I think some of the uh, OSR guys would kill me for that, but I think that would be pretty popular. And that's something I've talked about with Miska from Miska's Maps about potentially teaming up and doing because he's got a lot of really cool Mike Schley style maps, and we've been talking about doing a project for a while. Um, but yeah, I think that would be a hoot doing it in fifth edition too. And like, uh, you know, Pathfinder has Starfinder, right? That's what I was thinking of. That's what I was thinking of. Starfinder's Pathfinder's, um, deal. Like, I guess you could do it with that. You know, it's, you could do it with Traveler, but I think a fifth edition science fiction would be pretty cool. And last, uh, of the introductory questions. Dave, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Shitty DM with an arrow pointing up. All right. <laughs> In fact, I think I'm going to make that weekend <laughs> if they're for sale i'll buy one yeah. the world has, i'm gonna send matt mercer one. there you go buddy let's see if he wears it oh that would be fantastic we'll see one of my friends he's got a pretty oh, sorry what were you he's got a pretty good i was gonna say he's got a pretty good sense of humor he might mm-hmm. one of my friends one time you mentioned uh earlier how professional they are on critical role one of my friends the the first dm that i played under wanted to make like a like a psa parody video where he would just sit down like with his dm stuff in front of him and look at, directly at the camera and say i'm not matt mercer and neither are you yeah. that's okay <laughs> yeah you're not a uh you don't have a team of professional imdb credited voiceover actors with a studio setting in, a, in like a five camera format <laughs> you know when all your stuff is provided by um oh god what's the name of that that company that makes all the wood stuff for them you know what i mean it's like what is dwarven it forge uh, no it's not dwarven forge it's uh Longwood? i can't think of their name they they, they do woodcraft and they've they uh sponsor with geek and sundry uh i don't know i'll think of it wood something but anyways they um you know it's 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 cool and it does a lot for the hobby but at the same time you know D is about just hanging out and having a good time it's not about perfect voices and you know <laughs> you know like perfectly laid out stories and high production values and i think even matt mercer's called it the matt mercer effect like everybody thinks that's what D is it's like now, dude, if you want to know what D&D is, watch Stranger Things. That's that's probably a little bit closer to what D&D is. Or, uh, um, oh, God, what was that show from the 90s with James Franco? Freaks um, and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, when they play D&D, like in the last season there, that, that in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I watched the, uh, the D&D episode of Community for the first time, and you haven't seen any of that show? I've seen, like, the first couple seasons of Community, but I didn't watch it all the way gotcha. through. Gotcha. I'm just now watching it for the first time. It was one of those shows I kind of avoided because everyone was talking about how much I'd love it because I'm a nerd. (laughs) And I thought it would end up being like a Big Bang Theory situation where, okay, sometimes sometimes they're right, but most of the time I feel like I'm being made fun of. It's not. It's fantastic. I love it. No, it's great. I was uh, doing the uh, Spanish rap the other day while driving down the road. Their D&D episode... I was sitting there with my wife, who I'm teaching to play D&D. She's in my current group. And uh, the way that Pierce was acting throughout the entire session, I was like, this is pretty accurate. Yeah, I'm going to have to go watch it now. You get a power gamer who thinks it's possible to quote-unquote win D&D in your game. Yeah. They pretty much (laughs) nailed what happens. Yeah, every group has one, so you just kind of live with it. Um, You know, it's if that's what makes them happy. Just the only thing I don't like is when dice rolls get uh, fudged. I think that's stealing from everybody else. 
and power gamers sometimes have a habit of doing that. Transitioning into the uh, the questions more specific to you, um, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone the history of DMDave.com and what it is you do there? That's kind of weird. Um, last August, I was starting to make a little bit more stuff for my own game. I'd been running Fandelver, and that ended probably in, uh, I think, late June is when we wrapped it up. So it was summertime, and I was decided I was going to make my own campaign from there, Still Sudden Forgotten Realms. And I was doing a lot of online research and creating original stuff for that, uh, specifically taking some of Dyson Logos' uh, maps online and stocking those. And I was also reading a few blogs that I really liked the way they, they kind of had their format. And my personal background is in uh, content marketing, so I've been doing that for a few years. It's my full-time job now, Like so, so I'm a professional blogger and all that. Uh, I set it up as a place to hold my notes, and I figured, you know, well, if I'm writing this stuff anyways, I might as well put it on the internet. And I also figured, well, you know, people can use this, so I'll get on Instagram, start a following, uh, I could build an Instagram account pretty quick, too. So <laughs> coupling those two things, it started getting pretty popular. And then a few people started sharing my stuff on Reddit, and my uh, my my followers really jumped up from there. Like, I went from, like, oh, I think it was doing, like, 15,000 readers a month. And then after I started sharing on Reddit, that jumped up to about 150,000, so it went up about tenfold. And it's been steadily increasing ever since. I get I have pretty good SEO and stuff like that on the site. But, you know, it's been just a... Like, whatever kind of is on top of the mind, whatever I feel like making, in addition to what I'm making for my campaigns, I just kind of create there. And, uh, you know, it usually plays pretty well. I I was doing requests for a while. Uh, (laughs) I kept getting requests for stuff that, like, I wasn't, like, very excited about. Like, a lot of anime stuff. No offense to anybody who likes anime. Man, I don't care. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) or, um, you know, some other stuff. Like, I don't play video games, so, like, people are like, oh, can you make this video game character? I'm like, man, I don't don't know what that is. (laughs) I'll make Thanos. Let me just make Thanos. And, you know, I I would do stuff like that, and it, it kind of became fun and now i'm doing more long form lately where i will you know try to make a 2000 plus word article on something that i i feel usually i feel is sorely missing in dnd like uh what did i make recently oh i've been making scalable monsters which has been pretty popular um because they Third edition had really good rules for taking a monster and increasing its hit dice or giving it levels. But you don't really have that in fifth edition. So if you are, you know, you have a group of second or third tier characters, with the exception of like tossing a million hobgoblins at them, there's not really a good way for them to have a one-off challenge. So I wanted to create some rules for that. And that's been uh, going over really well, both on Reddit and my Patreon. Uh what else did I make recently? Oh, I did a, I did an analysis of how much income adventurers actually make per hour, <laughs> which, which you know, like, it's, it's kind of fun, but it also helped me moving forward, like, plan other stuff out. You know, just, like, anything I create as, like, me doing research or, you know, uh, something that I need for my own campaign or just, like, like yesterday I made the Night King from Game of Thrones, which, you know, I was like, well, let me, let me make this guy. Let me see what I would make him out to be and and like uh, <laughs> you know it's kind of fun going through the process and figuring out like the actual details and having to like uh reverse engineer stuff and you know it, it involves all my like analytical thinking and um you know my knowledge of the game and stuff like that and not everything i make is golden but i put out so much of it you know <laughs> it's all pareto principle anyways like 20 percent of what i do gets me 80 percent of my views so <laughs> just crank out what i can but yeah that's that's more or less the story i knew i wanted to do a kickstarter this year i've been an amazon seller since 2015 so i needed 
a new product to sell on Amazon, and I wanted it to be something that I actually cared about and not just some widget I found online. So um, I, I thought the magazine was a pretty good idea. And Justin David Russell, who is the artist on the project, he and I have been communicating since last September. And then, you know, we finally just went ahead and did it. Um, and yeah, it was a big success. So yeah, it's just a, the websites, gosh, it's, what is it? May? So it's nine months old now. <laughs> Pretty young. I think you've talked a little bit about this just kind of in answering that question. Um, what do you feel is the value of homebrew content in in role playing because there's a lot of people out there who like to play rules as written and don't allow a lot of homebrew content well that's because so much of it sucks <laughs> i mean does it, it's really bad and just and not that you know i'm not trying to not trying to diss anybody else who makes their own content but you know there's the the rules that they have for fifth edition only gives so many guidelines for creating your own content, right? There's rules for making monsters. That's probably the most thorough set of rules. There are rules for making spells. Uh, they're kind of rough, but they, they're still there. You know, they have the guidelines, even though the spells that are in the PHP doesn't even really follow that guidelines. But still, I digress. <laughs> it's like, Fireball should be a fourth level spell by these rules. But anyways, uh... There's rules for making magic items. And then beyond that, there's really not much else. So it takes a lot of kind of reverse engineering and understanding like how they do it. And then you have to understand other things like um, marketing-wise. For example, every book that – and this is nothing new. This, every game company since the 70s has been doing this. But every new book D&D puts out is always going to be like 10% more powerful than the one that came out before it, right? They call it usually book creep or codex creep or whatever you want to because that keeps people buying it, right? You're like, oh, Xanathar has this, this, and this, and this. I gotta get it. Or Volos has, you know, Yanti Purebloods, which have freaking magic resistance, you know? <laughs> and, and like immunity to poison and plus two intelligence. And it's like, yeah, that's way overpowered. But, you know, it's intentional because it gets you to keep buying the next book and they keep doing that until they have to reboot and do a new edition. Um, which is, you know, more or less the way it's set up. Um, I mean, Magic the Gathering works the same way. Uh, God knows, um, games workshop like that's their whole bread and butter you know every new codex they put out is way more powerful than the last one so anyways like you have to factor that in you have to know kind of the little rules you have to know the unspoken things that are in there um you have to get a lot of peer review on reddit which can be pretty rough sometimes because <laughs> they're not you know you you make something bad they'll let you know um you know all these little things that adds up to it and you have to kind of learn these things pretty quick. And I think what happens with a lot of people is they don't know these things. So they'll put it out there and they'll get a lot of bad feedback and then they'll, you know, they'll freak out. I've been writing for 15 years, so I'm used to people, you know, trashing me. <laughs> and I've been I've had some lousy jobs, too, where, you know, um, <laughs> like I've been in sales for a long time. So I'm, I'm used to people getting mad or, you know, talking bad or something like that. But the the I think it's important for the way that it's set up with fifth edition because it is very OGL, uh, open gaming license friendly, where they want third party creators to create content for them and then put it into DMs Guild or RPG Net or do like I do where I just use the OGL, you know, like kind of like a Cobalt Press does. Um, if you're not familiar with Cobalt Press, they're the ones who do all the stuff for um, Matt Mercer's Taldoray world. They also co-wrote uh, the Tyranny of Dragons storyline, which was the first storyline for fifth edition, and they have a couple monster books that are pretty popular. But like like them, right? They're they're fifth edition content, but they're not officially 
D&D. Um, it's a lot of old school D&D guys working on it. I think Wolfgang, I think it's Wolfgang Bauer's company, if I'm not mistaken. And he was a writer on Dungeon Magazine. Anyways, before I go off on a rant, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's important. And like back in 2000, when Wizards of the Coast, it was like 99 or 2000 when they bought, um, when they bought TSR, cause TSR, you know, collapsed under its own weight in the 80, in the 90s, um, due to some bad decision-making and, and really overproducing their content, which was kind of the style of everybody in the 90s. That's why Marvel almost went bankrupt, too. <laughs> but um, they decided they were only going to put out X number of books a year, and everything else was going to be third-party, so they didn't have to leverage the risk. So they, they, gave, they said, hey, you guys can use our rules. You just can't use you know, the Dungeons & Dragons name. You could say D20 on it, but you can't use Beholders, Mind Flayers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, for whatever reason, they had a brain fart and messed that up and put fourth edition, which is what Pathfinder was born out of, because they, a lot of your third-party creators said, oh, man, um, we still want to make this stuff. The OG, third edition OGL was still good, so they make Pathfinder. Fourth edition, of course, was a train wreck. And then <laughs> fifth edition, they decided again, okay, let's open this up, because it does. It creates a lot of cool content. As far as people not liking it, I don't blame them, man. There's a lot of bad stuff out there, and it's it's hard to sift through what's good and what's not. Now, like you said, you, you have only been making content for roughly nine months, or only been making content public for roughly nine months. Yeah, I did other types of content before then, but for fifth edition, yeah, that's I started in August of last year. In your career... As a DM, what what do you think was the earliest instance of you doing homebrew or someone bringing homebrew to your table? I probably did some in third edition. I don't think anything I ran in third or anything before that was out of the box, with the exception of when I first got second edition stuff. It wasn't until I started doing fifth edition that I really started, uh, I don't know, like paying more attention to the 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 actual structure of their products. You know, I started with Fandelver and my brother and I uh, broke it down into like how it's designed and what each individual part is made for. Um, and it's, it's a pretty good little, st- like people ask me what starter adventure. I'm like, get Fandelver, man. It's got everything you need. Um, and I'm excited to see they're making a sequel coming out next month. Uh, but yeah, like whether it's been Call of Cthulhu or um, GURPS or even like Indiana Jones, uh, role-playing game back from the 90s. <laughs> Good luck finding a copy of that. <laughs> uh, it was pretty cool. West End Games, man. The uh, um, I think they used to make Star Wars, too. Yeah, they, they did. did a D6 yep. Star Wars system. Yeah, I think, and then Fantasy Flight bought them all. But, uh, um, yeah, uh, God, where was I? What was I talking about? <laughs> Started thinking about Star Wars. You're talking about... Uh, it was all over after that. Your history of homebrewing content. Oh, yeah, like, um, I don't know, I've always wanted to create my own world, so I did that, but I, I never did it the right way, and until, since I've been, like, more of a professional content creator, and learning more about the structure of how things are written, and, you know, being a professional writer, like, it started, like, I started seeing, like, you know, it's like at the end of The Matrix, when Neo can see the numbers rolling down the walls, right, it's the same kind of thing, where, okay, like, I can open up a book. Like, I just bought Salt, Salt Marsh, right? And the first thing I did was I was looking at the way they've got it structured in terms of, like, you know, like, the first page gives you your, you know, it gives you your introduction, it gives you adventure hooks, then it introduces Salt Marsh, tells you about the important places, you know, like, all these little things. So I started doing that, which also is another reason, like, when I was creating my blog, um, the 
the first major piece of content that I created for fifth edition was I did a ton of research on Neverwinter, which let me just tell you, like if you're going to research a place, don't pick something as big as Neverwinter. (laughs) (laughs) It was really difficult. Um, I had, you know, I was playing the video game to like check out what certain locations looked like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But like I wanted to, to, to have it make sense and, um, you know, really flow and, and be able to run the game better. Also, without wearing myself out. So a lot of people who create their own worlds, you'll see a lot of times, I mean, they can tell you the population of a city on the other end, continent that your characters will never go to. And it's like, well, why? why? Why do you need that? You know, like start with what you need <laughs> and build your way out. And like, I never know what happens beyond one session to the next unless they happen to be stuck in a dungeon, right? So, you know, that's that's been kind of a big eye-opener for me, too. It's like, yeah, it's cool knowing the languages of your world and all the little details, but it's a lot better to run a good session, and then it also be able to leave that stuff free, so in case you need to pivot, you, you can. Um, and it's it's a little bit easier to do that if you run your own world versus like something like the Forgotten Realms where you've got Bob Salvatore and Ed Greenwood and, you know, <laughs> you know 30 years of D&D content and box sets that are way out of print, you know, that you have to do all the research for just to figure out what the hell's going on in like long saddle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, uh, yeah, it's way easier to like bullshit your own world than to do <laughs> something like that. So yeah, I, I prefer creating my own world. And when my current campaign ends, which is forgotten realms with the bloody bunch, I'm going to be starting my own world, which should be pretty fun. I just got to figure out what I want to do. <laughs> when it comes to testing out your content, do you ever test it on your group before you post it, or do you post it and then let other people test it and then make modifications to it? Uh, it depends. Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff. Like, I'm pretty good with the math of it all, so unless there's some glaring mistake that I made, it's usually pretty balanced. And I, I never try to reinvent the wheel with their rule set. Like I do what it's called uh, parallel balance, where let's say I'm going to make a new class, which I hate making classes because they're really hard to make. <laughs> they're not they're not easy at all. Like they're very um like and and the 13 that are in the book are like perfect. You don't need anything else. Anything else you can just reflavor with you know a few rules edits and like it's like there's no need to have. This is my opinion. I'm sure not everybody's popular about it. And God knows I make plenty of classes, but like you don't need a gunslinger. Just Turn a fighter into a gunslinger. Anyways, anyways. Um, but, like, I, I use this parallel balance system, which works pretty well. And then, like, a lot of stuff, like races are, you know, I, I wrote an article recently showing, hey, these are how races are built. They're all b- based on the 3SI, 3ASI rule, where essentially if you look at a default human, which has plus one to each of its stats, that's 3ASI. So, so as long as you create a race that is balanced similarly, you know, has essentially like um, three ASI's worth of like feats and ability score increases, it'll be balanced, right? Now you could probably go a point or two over thanks to books like Volos, which, you know, beefed it up a little bit and Wardenkynans, but um, that's more or less how it works. But like, anyways, yeah, long story short, yeah, I, I can balance this stuff pretty well. I'll post it on Reddit and get peer review on stuff that I'm really not sure of. And usually, um, I get pretty good feedback if I've made kind of a huge mistake, like, 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 oh, duh, um, you know, I, I left out this thing or this isn't balanced with this. Um, the other thing is also understanding, like, what is the role of a certain thing that I'm going to create. So if I'm going to create a subclass for a fighter, 
is it crowd control? Is it supposed to be a tank? Is it supposed to be DPR? You know, stuff like that. Does everything that I'm creating go into that? You know, uh, I also put it all in the spreadsheets and stuff too. And then for the stuff that I actually do with my group, a lot of time I keep that secret until it's actually with my group. So like, like if they were going to fight a, a certain kind of monster or there's a BBEG that's coming up, um, I'll create the stats and I'll keep it hidden and then I'll post it after the fact, but then I'll usually run it with them. And it's very rare that I've ever seen anything that I, at least I would say within the last, uh, let's say 12 months, um, not 12 months, <laughs> like five months that I've created anything that I feel was horribly wrong, right? <laughs> if you go on my blog and you find some early stuff, like some of the old classes and subclasses I made, yeah, they're probably broken as hell, but these days, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but, you know, I, I've, I've written as of now, uh, let's see, published 635 articles and 134 have, are still in draft form. So, you know, about 760 articles I've written for my site, all with original content. So at this point, it's like, well, I feel pretty confident about my ability <laughs> to make stuff. So Now, uh, you mentioned all that content that you've put out. Uh, what, in your opinion, do you think is the best content that you, you've put out there? What's your favorite thing that you've ever made, if you can possibly pick between the, your children like that? <laughs> the stuff that makes me really happy is time I do a stat anything. I really take the time to figure it out. Um, I've, there's probably only a handful that I've done that really, like the first one with the monsters from a quiet place. I, I spent a long time working on that article and I wanted it to be, uh, perfect. And I, th I think it did pretty good. And it's one of the first ones I ever had that went viral. Um, Thanos, I, I, I took a while to do, though he was pretty easy when you're CR 30, it's just a matter of like making sure the numbers line up. <laughs> yeah. And then like doing the night King last night, I, I had a lot of fun doing that and kind of figuring out, okay, like how much damage does this guy probably do um what's his alignment compared to other things you know what what are his ability scores you know something like that's even more fun because in my opinion and i know when i post this on reddit i'm gonna get all kinds of shit for it but i don't think he's a high challenge rating monster because game of thrones is not a high challenge rating world right it's it's pretty it's very sword and sorcery low magic you're talking like fifth level characters tops maybe Arya is like the best in all of game of thrones but like you know the night the night king is just a really smart dude who knows well i'm clearly not going to get into melee combat with these people so <laughs> you know what i mean it's like I, why do that when i've got a million zombies so uh, i hope i'm not spoiling anything for anybody who hasn't watched game of thrones but yeah like like doing something like that was fun because it's like anybody can make a you know like a 20 plus challenge rating monster and give it legendary actions and legendary resistance but i wanted to you know i like creating more realistic things like all right what is the show telling me this this character should be like when i did a quiet place i was like how tough are these things really they're fighting a bunch of commoners so are they high challenge rating monsters so it's like when i was done i was like no they're like challenge rating four it's just when you're shredding through zero level commoners <laughs> it's, it's you know it's pretty easy so like i i really like doing stuff like that it takes freaking forever to do um, I like creating a uh, rule set. I really liked creating my zombie rule set. That was a lot of fun. Um, uh, I, li I like making the seven deadly sins artifacts. Those have been really popular because they're very, um, they're really like, I think they have a good balance between like, wow, this is really powerful, but also has some horrible side effects. So like anybody who finds one is going to always going to be like, Ugh, should I use this? I mean, it's cool, but you know, <laughs> like that's like the whole thing, you know, like doing stuff like that, where it's like, like someone messaged me and says, Hey, can you make a Iron Man subclass? I'm like, sure. You know, whatever. <laughs> 
But like, like that doesn't really like get me super excited. Like, can you make a gunslinger? Like, all right, whatever. But when it's more like, you know, how would you stat Kirby from Nintendo? I'm like, oh, well, that's an interesting question. Let me look at it. <laughs> you know, stuff like that I have a lot of fun with. What kind of stuff do you get the best feedback from? Like, what does your audience seem to really like? Uh, pretty much everything I just named. Um, like, my Patreon is more Dungeon Masters, so they really dig they dig my adventures, which I'm just holding off for Broadsword these days. And I, I really have fun making adventures. They just, they're you know, like like a lot of things, they take a long time to make and get right. But fortunately, there's some pretty good rules in 5th edition for creating balanced adventures, which, um, like, 5th edition is not very mathy, but that's the one area that's super mathy. And I think a lot of people have difficulty understanding is how to balance encounters and stuff. And I really find a lot of enjoyment in that. Um, I, I, I'd love making adventures too, but, uh, um, those go over pretty well. The stuff I talked about, like, like I, I posted the night King on Instagram this morning. And as of now, let's see how many people have clicked through on my IG. That's pretty significant. And I haven't even put it on Reddit yet. Let's see. Yeah. I've had like 300 people visit from Instagram um, probably even more just going straight off the domain. That's just on, on that. I knew, I knew it would do well. Like when I made Thanos, I was like, I know this will go viral. And it did. I had like 5,000 people view it in one day. <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks like I've had 600 people check out the Night King stats, which is pretty cool. Um, the scalable monsters have been really popular. Like people really dig those because it does make it easier to do that stuff without having to do it yourself. Some people have even suggested doing like a app for it, which I think is a pretty good idea. Um, my for on SEO, my monster variants do really well. Like. Like, you would never guess it, but, like, I, I wrote, like, Bullywug variants back in, like, September, and I get, like, 30 hits a day just on that article of, like, people using it, right? So, uh, yeah, I think just things the DMs can use where they don't have to, like, plan too much. Um, the subclasses are great, but I think somebody said it perfectly. It's, like, there's so many subclasses already. Does the world need another subclass? But, right. you know, you always need more monsters. You always need more adventures. Uh, new spells, though, I, I'd say the spells are pretty... They got a pretty good set of spells. It's it's pretty rare that I ever not find a spell or an effect that I'm looking for. But yeah, I'd say monsters, adventures, and stuff like that. Let's kind of transition now to talk more about the uh, the forthcoming broadsword magazine because sure. this is this is kind of your big upcoming thing, right? Yeah, I guess <laughs> it is today. <laughs> So, uh, like we said, the Kickstarter campaign was a success, and you talked a little bit about this, but but what was it that made you decide, not only do we need a magazine like this again, but I'm the man to do it? I mean, it plays on my skill set. I know how to get all this stuff done. I've been creating products to sell online for oh, four years. Uh, I've been doing internet marketing for probably even longer than that. Um, I'm expert Photoshop skills. Um, obviously I can create content. You know, I think back when I was really going crazy last fall, I was doing like 17,000 words a day, according to Grammarly. Um, now it's probably close to like 6,000, but you know, I can crank out content pretty quick. Uh, l the logistics are simple. Marketing is simple. I mean, I, it's simple for me. <laughs> uh, cause you know, it's all stuff that I do as my day job and I've done, you know, I went for three years without having a, a real job, you know, just, um, building websites and doing online marketing and stuff. So uh, 
I just told myself, you know, I didn't want to be, I wanted to do something that I cared about and other people cared about. And I put up on Instagram, like, hey, if I made this, would you be interested in it? And like, I got a lot of really good feedback right away. Like, yeah, let's, let's do this. And um, yeah, it was a huge success. I think a lot of people, that was the feedback I got. People said, yeah, we really miss those magazines. You know, the two magazines that TSR used to make, Paizo Publishing picked up the rights to create them back in the 2000s when third edition came in and they were the guys running the show for that and then at dungeon issue number 150 they were like hey fourth edition's coming they are dropping our licensing which means we can't write about fifth edition like we can't use the word dungeons and dragons you can't do any of this stuff anymore and dnd took the or watsi took the stuff in-house and did it all digital uh with fourth edition right and then the guys from pathfinder uh, James Jacobs and all of them said, okay, we're going to go start Pathfinder, right? And that's where Pathfinder got its roots was originally in Dungeon Magazine. They had adventure paths. So if you ever look at like the old adventure paths and the way those were laid out and connected, it's the exact same thing they're doing in Pathfinder, um, just using the, the, the third edition OGL and like whatever this new rule set that they're putting out. I, I'm not really a Pathfinder player, but like I did like their old content and I've, I've adopted quite a few of their adventure paths from the mid 2000s uh, dungeon magazines but like yeah a lot of people were like me and i mean digital is great and all but you like having a nice physical book in front of you and like i, I thought it was such a huge resource both that and Dun like both that and dragon magazine it's it's pretty adventure heavy but there's still a lot of like dragon type stuff in there too so if, if your listeners aren't familiar dungeon was the adventure portion of the two magazines and it came out with like four or five adventures every month and then dragon was supplementary content and usually they had a synergy so like if the theme of dragon for that month was undead then dungeon would have like a whole bunch of undead adventures or like undead related stuff in it or and it, it was a pretty cool little gimmick and man it's it was stone cold bummer that it's gone um and it honestly finding those old dungeon magazines is hard man like, I search on eBay for them. It's tough, and they go for a bunch of money because people loved them. So, yeah, I was like, yeah, I can do that. No problem. <laughs> and uh, who all are you working with on this this project right now? I've got Justin David Russell. He's done the maps for the first issue. Uh, my old buddy from Virginia, Scott Craig, is going to be the designer for it. Uh, he's, he's working in InDesign to get some templates set up now. Uh, I've got Juan Ruiz. He's another old school style artist. I've spoken with some other artists who are interested in getting involved. Um, Dyson Logos is actually going to be contributing some content, which I'm pretty excited about. If, if people aren't familiar with Dyson, he's actually Wizards of the Coast's official cartographer right now. So that's pretty exciting. Um, he's had maps in the last, let's see, he didn't do Mad Mage, but he's done maps for every book since Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So it's pretty, he's a pretty cool guy. So looking forward to that. Uh, I've spoke with a couple other folks. I don't know if I should mention now because nothing's set in stone, but some people who've done some, who've been in the business for a really long time, uh, who've put out some pretty major stuff are, are coming on board. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things like when, you know, the, the smells coming out of the kitchen, everybody wants to run and grab a piece of bread, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, I've been pretty privileged, uh, but, but mostly it started with just me and Justin David Russell. Um, he's only going to be contributing up through 
the Forsaken Peak adventure path, and then he's going to be focusing more on his old stuff. He's more of an OSR guy anyways. And um, But it's going to be primarily submissions going forward. I would say it'll be probably be about 80-20 um, submissions to my content uh, in future issues. Are you planning on doing themes for the, the individual issues of Broadsword, or is it just going to be kind of whatever you've got cooking at the time? Yeah, it, it'll, it'll be themes. I've got it planned out. I know the first issue is probably going to hit sometime in September, and it's going to be kind of a, all over the place, like whatever I thought was a good idea <laughs> when I was putting the Kickstarter together. Um, but then after that, like October's, you know, Halloween, you know, horror themed, uh, I think September, I think I slated science fiction. I, I don't know. It's all on my, uh, it's all on the Kickstarter page, kind of what I got, but I know there's some things that I wanted to, to work on. I think December, I did a winter theme. I want to expand downtime. I think downtime is lacking <laughs> in fifth, like fifth. They did, they did okay with Xanathar's, but there's, that's probably one thing I really want to tackle is making downtime a little bit better. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, I've got a rough outline. Nothing's, you know, nothing is really set in stone. And I might, you know, depending on how well it goes, I might try to work with wizards on like getting a little bit more coordinating with whatever they've got. Like, I think, uh, let's see this fall, they've got a Ver the Vernus thing coming out in uh, September. So it'd be kind of cool to like maybe coordinate with them on that. But, um, yeah. Who knows? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned downtime. The last uh, character that I played, my intention was for him to be, uh, he was an eldritch knight, but he was also like a, a smith. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that 5th edition rules for crafting are, they, they kind of suck. Yeah, the whole skill rules, the whole skill thing is just kind of, I mean, they wanted to make it more about combat and exploration and role-playing and kind of take away the... Uh, the skills and downtime. So that's something I've really wanted to kind of iron out and, um, but still keep it. That's the thing is, is my big thing. And one thing which I don't like about some of my fellow content creators is that they, um, sometimes they'll go too far away from what fifth edition should be. And like take a uh, mass combat, like even wizards of the coast was bad about this. They created these mass combat rules, which in my opinion, like wasn't fifth edition. I mean, this is created by wizards of the coast, put in a UA Hasn't seen the light of day yet in a, in a um, hardbound book, but it um, it just it just wasn't fifth. I was like, this isn't fifth edition. So I went and created my own rules that I think were fifth edition, <laughs> which would be in broadsword number one. And it's the same thing. Like anytime, like people will try to make like a rule set that's different. It's just like, man, it's not really fifth edition. So like with skills and downtime. Like, people have been like, oh, are you going to bring back skill points? I'm like, well, no, because skill points is a very third edition thing. That's third edition's thing. Like, uh, fifth edition is all about advantages and disadvantage systems. So in order to keep it with that, I need to stay there. So that's probably what I'm going to be working on. But it's 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 going to be an elaborate project. So <laughs> not something I can crank out, like, at 2 in the morning, you know, when I can't get to sleep. <laughs> Now, uh, what does it take to put together a Kickstarter campaign? Because that seems to me like a super hard thing, but a lot of people do it, and there have been a fair amount of success stories with it as well. So what did it take to put yours together? I, I'll i tell you, man, um, I, I didn't spend a lot on ads, and um, I spent maybe like 3000 3, bucks on ads when all was said and done, and even then the return wasn't that great. The majority of how well I did was built on my own audience, which, um, I mean, if you, if you want me to go on a tangent about <laughs> online marketing and e-commerce, I can, <laughs> but, uh, uh, the big thing about Kickstarter that people have to understand is, is 
it's only successful if you have an audience walking into it. Now, years ago when it first came out, so it, it, it Kickstarter debuted during the recession, right? It came out in 2007. Um, and you know, it's, it's slowly become the, the powerhouse that it is today, but you could throw up anything back you know, five years ago on Kickstarter, like 2012, 2011, and, and expect to get it funded. But these days, I think you really have to come armed with a, you know, a mailing list, um, you know, some sort of social media presence, uh, influencers, you know, media connections, things like that, if you really want it to be successful. So I knew probably as early as early 2018 that I wanted to do a Kickstarter for my next major online product. I didn't know exactly what it, the product was going to be, but I knew that I had to build an audience before I could do any of that stuff. And then I would figure out from there what the product would be. So I'd build the audience and then let them dictate kind of what the product should be. So that's kind of the, the process that kind of came to being with that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was a success. Like Justin, David, Russell and I think we did a pretty good job. We built a small mailing list that was okay. I did a glean contest, which, um, probably did all right. But the biggest, biggest I think was probably from probably my Instagram and then just organically people finding my stuff and sharing it and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard about all of your content or kind of organically because of, uh, Tim Matthias. Yeah. He, he sent me your way. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. I really enjoy his podcast. Um, the, you know, I, I, my thing was always to like, um, D and is a super competitive market. Like, like, I don't think people understand just who you're competing with. Like, let's just talking about like on the SEO front. So search engine optimization, I, I'm, I'm great at SEO, right? But I can't use it with D&D because I have to compete with Fandom, which has an Alexa rank, Alexa rank of like 42. <laughs> so, mm. so you know, they've got tens of millions of people coming in. Um, I'm not talking to you. My damn robot started talking back to me. She heard her name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, you know, I have to compete with that. I have to compete with wikis. I have to compete with Geek and Sundry. I have to c- compete with Wizards Domain. You know, it's like, good luck. You're not going to you know, you're not going to fight against this guy. So I had to be uh, circuitous about it. I had to go through Instagram, which if you're looking to build any kind of fan base, you need to be on Instagram and probably pretty soon TikTok too. God help us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Oh, is, is that's the right response, but that's where the, that's, that's, yeah, that's where the market is. Unfortunately, um, you know, cause they keep getting younger and younger. It's not yep. going to be on Facebook anymore. And Facebook's been pay to play for like the last five years anyways. But, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, doing that Reddit, especially the Unearthed Arcana subreddit, has been a huge help for my brand. Um, you know, it takes a while to get started, and you gotta have a thick skin if you're gonna post your stuff on Reddit. This, because I mean, you're dealing with people who are just troll, straight up trolls. You know, they have no problem yeah. being a holes about it. So, I mean, but you know, once you get past it, and you kind of, it's like anything. You know, if you're creating content, you have to understand what the 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 community wants so what the people on instagram want isn't what the people on reddit want and vice versa sometimes you know it lines up like when i post the night king on reddit tonight people will love it you know and just like it was with thanos but like if i can make uh like a really cool article about scalable monsters and it won't do anything on instagram but it'll blow up on reddit whereas i can do uh 
a subclass, just some crap that I threw together, <laughs> put it on Instagram, and I'm like, oh, it goes viral. So you know, it's 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 uh it's it's difficult doing a lot of that stuff and and kind of understanding the whole process of building an audience and then figuring out products and you know, there's a lot of like moving pieces involved with it. And my big thing has always been, I like to help out people who who have a good work ethic, who, who have a good product that they're already putting out, but they just don't have an audience because building an audience, frankly, is, is really hard, right? <laughs> it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time. Um, so like Tim, uh, um, Luke from the DMs layer, um, my buddy, Brian Fisher, who actually is already has a pretty successful, he already sold a game company of his, but even then, like I, I talked to Dyson about stuff. Uh, he's pretty cool. Like he's got kind of his own thing and I've, I do Instagram and he's told me about some other stuff he's got. Uh, JD Russell is a super talented artist, you know, cranking out like two maps a day. Uh, I was like, man, people need to see this guy. Like I really enjoy working with creators like that because like, you know, I can build the audience and then people can see what they've got and it, it works out for everybody. Right. So it's, it's, uh, um, that was a big thing I wanted to do with broadsword too, is like, I didn't just want like a bunch of like, I mean, granted, like Dyson's coming on, but that's only because I'm like a big nerd for his maps. <laughs> but, uh, um, but like, you know, like, I wanted it to be like people nobody had ever heard of. Like that's the way Dungeon was. You know, it was like it was like college professors and you know uh, engineers and stuff like that who were just putzing around making these adventures and submitting them. You know, it, it wasn't like the Matt Mercers and MT Black. No, well, I, I don't want to knock MT Black. He's really he's a hustler too. But you know what I mean? Like people who've got name recognition out there putting out the stuff i wanted it to be like let's see what the rest of the world's got i can get them out there using my audience building skills and you know the rest is history you mentioned a couple a couple times the good and bad elements of the community that we have now having been in this hobby as long as you have do you feel good about where we as a community are now uh yeah, I think there's a lot of good things. I mean, it's it's the biggest it's ever been. This is certainly the golden age. Um, you know, there's it's it's very mainstream and popular. Uh, I mean, still like nobody I work with, like maybe like three people I work with play D and D, and they're all tech nerds. <laughs> but um, there's some things that I think are really good about it, and I would say 99% of the community is pretty good. But you know, it's like anything. There's always going to be some trolls outlying there. Um, I. I I really enjoy Wizards of the Coast and the way they've been doing stuff up until last fall when they started doing this cross-promotional stuff, which I'm not a fan of. I think that really cheapens the the product. I understand why they do it, but it's not – I'm not keen – like, to give you an example, like, Ravnica was the first one that was like, all right, this is cross-promotional. Like, their goal is to bring in their one major audience, their, their bread-and-butter Magic players into D&D, right? Um, that haven't already crossed over. And yeah, it's a success. But then they saw the results of Ravnica and then they doubled down on it this year like crazy. And you've got uh, Acquisitions Incorporated coming out next month. You had a Stranger Things box set. You've got this Rick and Morty module coming out. And it's like, guys, man, like I'm not a fan of that. Like that's that to me is like, I don't I don't want to spend 50 bucks on Acquisitions. I don't even know what Acquisitions Incorporated is. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm an old school player. I want Spelljammer and Dark Sun. Damn it. I don't want this I want another monster book. I don't want to have to wait three years for another monster book. You know, it's like stuff like that. I'm not crazy about. Um, I'm not crazy about the emphasis on critical role. Like when Waterdeep came out and they drew all the little people in the back in uh, the yawning portal and that picture, it's like you've got Matt Mercer in there. It's like, what the hell is he even doing here? He doesn't even run in Forgotten Realms. 
And where the shit is Bob Salvatore, who, you know, created, like, 50% of these characters? You know what I mean? It's, like, stuff like that. Like, I'm like, you know, (laughs) like, don't, I I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it's really frustrating. And they want to build sort of new audience and, like, continue to build and, you know, make Hasbro happy. But it's like, shit, guys, don't shit on the people who helped get you to this point. (laughs) That's the only thing that I think I've got to gripe about. Otherwise, everything's awesome. The book qualities are amazing. The artists are fantastic. The rules are freaking solid content creators know what the hell they're doing and Ravnica is it's not a bad book you know it's it's I, I will probably never use it other than like maybe this I use the spore druid for some of my own builds sometimes just to... <laughs> I mean the one the one thing I'll say about Ravnica uh one of my current players is big into magic and he's he's just now kind of getting big into D&D and because he's so into magic he's gonna try DMing mm-hmm. Ravnica and so it's getting him in into the DMing thing and so that that's cool, but like you yeah, said... Yeah, no, I, I totally dig it. Now with all the saturation of licensed adventures that they're putting... Like, how long before we get, like, 5th edition Marvel <laughs> or DC Universe? Yeah, I'd be all right with that. <laughs> but, <laughs> I yeah, would, too, I mean, honestly. That's, like, like, dude, I love Rick and Morty. Like, I love, you know, I'm a typical, you know, asshole white guy. I love Rick and Morty. <laughs> but... At the same time, it's like, you know, I, I just I wish the two were separate. And, yeah, I, you know, speaking of community, Dan Harmon, big time D&D nerd, right? Um, he's done things where he's DM'd like Audrey Plaza and like stuff like that, which is pretty cool. But it's like I just prefer it to be separate. I want I want my D&D to be D&D. I'd love a Dark Sun module. I'd love like at least one monster book a year. Like right now we've got like what, three? I mean two if you call – I mean you can't really call Volos and Mordenkainen. They're like half monster books, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, and so we have to turn to Cobalt Press and like, hey, I love those guys, but not all their builds are perfect. <laughs> uh, um, stuff like that. It's like, give me some more monsters. Give me some stuff that I can use. So, yeah, instead of acquisitions and corporate, I don't care about that. <laughs> But somebody does. So, I mean, you know, it's like, what can I say? And it's bringing people into the hobby, and the hobby's the best it's ever been. So it's uh, it has its place. But me, old grumpy grognard, I'm like, uh, I, want, I want Dark Sun or Spelljammer. <laughs> Planescape. Give me another Planescape box set. <laughs> yeah, that's a big thing. Uh, one of the pages I followed before, I think before they announced the new uh, Baldur's Gate book that they're putting out, someone said, like, what, what do you want uh wizard's next adventure to be and me and a whole bunch of other people are like planescape mm-hmm. and that's going to be planescape light i can tell you that right now that's exactly what it's going to be yeah and, and planescape's cool plus it's really hard to get that like of all the content that's difficult to get from second edition um planescape like those box sets go for hundreds of bucks on ebay man you cannot get them for cheap so you I mean you, you end up turning to like the trove and stuff like that because you don't want to pay I don't want to pay 300 bucks to have details of what it's like for characters to go through hell in the official setting. So, yeah, I mean, I would like more emphasis on that stuff. I think Avernus will have some of that. I, I, I was telling somebody, I was like, I bet you it'll have Sigil in it. And, you know, <laughs> it'll have all like the typical like Planescape stuff that they, they toss in. But, yeah, I think something more dedicated would have probably made me happier. At the very least, if you need a Planescape fix, you can get a version of Planescape Torment that runs well on modern computers, if if you feel so inclined. But like you said, you don't play video games. No, I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a very good nerd, man. I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't read a lot of fiction. 
and I don't play video games. Um, I read a lot of nonfiction. Uh, uh, I occasionally watch. I just finished watching Game of Thrones, but even then, I'm like a week late. <laughs> and, I, and I did it. I did it on like the trial HBO. Like I was like, oh, I'm gonna wait till this season's done, get the trial, watch it on three days, and cancel. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, like video games. Yeah, I just never. I mean, the last. I think the last time I was really into video games was Super Nintendo back in the early 90s <laughs> and i mean like a lot of that stuff it just takes a lot of time yeah and, and my time spent mostly writing like right when i want to when i want to relax and unwind that's what i do i go sit down and i i write something now that the uh, the kickstarter campaign is over how do people who want to get involved with broadsword how do they get their subscriptions now uh, I've got that set up through Samcart too, um, so I think that's what um, that's the route I'm going to be going with that. Um, and yeah, it'll get set up. It's just something like my biggest thing was like I didn't want to focus on the economics of it. I mean, the the Kickstarter made enough to to support it for a year already. Um, I wanted to make sure the content was good and everything was solid and in place, and I had the product ready before I was like, oh, let me go and make more money, you know, <laughs> doing this. Let me open up different markets. It's like, well, why don't I just focus on the people I'm taking care of first and then when they're happy. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll have it open up before then. Like when I, when I finally send these art files off to the printers, probably say like, okay, the art files are off, sign up now, blah, blah, blah. Um, here's, you know, additional, uh, for people who already signed up to the Kickstarter, that will be able to do that as well. And honestly, my Patreon, like everybody from Electrum tiering up is getting a copy of it as well. Digital for Electrum and then gold and platinum will get, um, uh, uh, the physical copy in addition to some other goodies and all the other stuff that comes with my Patreon. I put out like all my stuff I put on my website, especially the long form stuff all gets put into a PDF anyway. So they get all that too. But yeah, uh, there'll definitely be some opportunities for people to jump in after the fact. But yeah, my main goal and focus right now is to make sure the product's perfect, which um, I should be finished drafting it. Hopefully, next two weeks and then i'll have the design template already made i've already got a established rapport with the uh printer it'll probably take like printing is quick it's like two weeks of printing then a month on a boat um I'm, well actually i think i'm doing express so it's even faster than that the weight ended up being the same so it'll probably just express mail it <laughs> ddp like direct paid hope those tariffs don't hit me but whatever <laughs> We'll see. Last question for you. Um, if you could give just like a short pitch to everyone why they should get Broadsword, what would that be? Uh, man, if you if you like 5th edition and – how do I sound say this without sounding totally arrogant? <laughs> if you want somebody who knows what they're doing, <laughs> who spends a lot of time working on it um, and, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself like – doing homebrew like I, in my mind i'm i'm trying my best to create professional level content on par with what they do at fifth edition and use the mechanics and the systems that they use to create stuff um and then make sure you know it's all checked over and stuff like that and it's funny like I'll, I'll i'll read like a new ua and i'm like did they even play test this <laughs> but uh, um yeah if you want somebody who you know really cares about the game i've, I've been a dm for 27 years um i i'm very much in love with it and i'm professional like this stuff will all come out on time um i can't promise that every article will always be good but you know that's just the way it goes but you know a majority of it's going to be pretty some pretty good stuff if that's something you're interested in you like a nice physical product 
the first issue at the very least is going to be in hardcover format. I've got Justin David Russell who painted by hand on oil on canvas the cover for the first issue, which is when do you hear about that anymore? <laughs> uh, I mean, shit, you haven't had that since Elmore. Uh, working on getting the highest quality paper. You know, all this stuff. If that's something that interests you, by all means, um, at the very least, follow me now on dmdave.com. Hopefully, within the next week or two, I'll have uh, Sam Cart officially set up so you can do that and sign up on it and end up getting yourself a subscription too, even if it's digital. But yeah, um, I have no doubt this product will be killer. And the level of talent that's coming to me that wants to work on this, blow your mind. I don't want to throw out any names yet because no contracts have been signed, but there's like people who've been in this business for like 20 years, like with professional, you know, some huge professional credits to their name who were coming on board. So um, yeah, it's exciting. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time uh, this afternoon. Yeah, sorry for being so long-winded. Oh, don't don't worry about it. That's that's what we're here for. Link to your information, everyone. It's uh, dmdave.com is where you can find all of his uh, all this content that he puts out. Uh, please support him on Patreon. And uh, if you have supported him on Patreon, then uh, jump in on on his Discord and you can talk to me. I'm there too. Yeah, yeah. Please bug the shit out of me. I don't know if <laughs> don't know if I'll be able to respond. <laughs> but I'm there. Absolutely. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, next week, we will be talking to Matan Gilat of uh, Eldritch Foundry. So until then, uh, may all of your roles be critical hits. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us on Anchor.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to shout at me on social media, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. And if you like miniatures and miniature painting, you can see all the work that I do on my Instagram, which is at Fenderboy771. Our theme song for Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard is Rumblin' by Trey Van Zant, who you can find at youtube.com slash C slash Trey Van Zant, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Thank you so very much, and have a great day.